Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Happy hump day, everybody. I hope y'all are doing well. And it's that month where, I mean, people kind of lose their mind. I don't know if it's because they're eating more more sugar or, or, or what the deal is, and, and they think that they need to go and, and get this extra rush so they do the the candy and then they go and see these horrible horrible movies uh, i'm not a horror fan uh and, you know i don't need to pay to be scared the real world is, is scary enough but people are paying this money to go see remakes and and sequels of of horror movies right now just so they can get their their scare on but there are people out there that have you know, a real problem with being afraid of certain things. And so on this Wellness Wednesday, because it is the second Wednesday of the month on G's Power Hour, on this Wellness Wednesday, we are going to talk a little bit about fears or phobias. And joining us today is Dr. Taiwan Tillman. Good morning, Dr. Tillman. How are you doing? Good morning, Lady G. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. I'm doing well. Always a pleasure and a blessing to have you on. And and so I always need to have you to kind of, you know, catch us up, give us the real scoop of uh, what's going on, you know, break, break down those medical terms and, and uh, you know, help us understand what's going on with us. So I want to talk about what exactly is a phobia. What is a phobia? Well, mm-hmm. Well, I, let's take a step back and start with fear. Fear, okay. A phobia is a type of fear. A phobia okay. is an extreme fear. So let's start with fear. So when you think about fear, most people just think of fear as you don't even think about it. You just think it, think of it as an emotion. And you don't really you know classify it or think about it in a scientific sense. You just think fear, and you think you know ghosts and things like Halloween or you know haunted houses or movies. But it's actually it's much more complex than that. I'm going to ask you what when somebody says if somebody said to you, define fear. Do you have anything in your mind how you could define fear, or do you just think of it as simply an emotion that's difficult to define? I guess I do think of it as an emotion that's difficult to define. Um, I think I kind of know it when I'm in it, if I can exactly say that. And that's you know. And, and that's how most people would view fear that, you know, I can't exactly tell you what it is, but I know when I'm scared, right? But like most things, there there's a scientific basis to fear. And as we start to go through it, you'll probably say, yeah, that makes sense. So when you think about fear as an emotion, just like most emotions and most human reactions, there is some scientific or biological basis in it. For fear, fear is actually a survival mechanism for us. It's a natural emotion that is a survival mechanism. So imagine you, when you confront a perceived threat or something that may be harmful to you, then you have a fear response. The purpose of that fear response is to keep you safe. So you, everybody has heard of the fight or flight response, right? So when you experience a threat, your body goes through certain biological changes, biochemical changes, releases certain hormones, the most prominent one being adrenaline. What that does is it increases your alertness, it increases your heart rate, it may get a little sweaty, a little jittery. Those are all signs that your body is responding to an adrenaline surge that can make you run faster, can make you see a little better, 
to make you scream louder. It basically increases your overall alertness and ability to escape. And so at that time, when you're afraid and your fear response triggers, your body is deciding, your brain is deciding, do I fight this threat, whatever it is, or do I flee? And that's the whole fight or flight response. And that is the fear response that is that we've developed as basically a survival mechanism. But the other thing about physical response or the biological, biochemical response that we just discussed, but then there's the emotional part to that. And so if you think about fear as having the physical response and then the emotional response, the emotional response is what differs for most people or among different people. So the physical response is almost the same for everybody. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, we'll do heights, right? Some people, when they get up to really high heights, they get afraid, they get um, nervous, they get that physical response where adrenaline releases, they get shaky, they get sweaty, and then their emotional response to that may be a panic attack. It may be anxiety, right? And so that is the physical, physical response, and then their emotional response is anxiety and panic. Now take another person, you take them to a really high height. They get the same exact physical response, adrenaline surge, they get sweaty, they get a little jittery, but guess what? Their emotional response is they're excited, they're pumped up, they want to jump out of a plane, they want to skydive, they want to, you know, do all this other stuff. And so their emotional response is excitement and satisfaction from the same physical fear trigger that the other person has, but their emotional response is different. So that's why you have to consider fear as a little bit more than, you know, just an emotion that you know, a jump scare or just an emotion that is difficult to define because it has those two components. And that's why you have people that respond differently to different triggers. And that also is why you have people that will ultimately end up with phobias in some of these um, certain settings. Does all that make sense to you? Yeah, it kind of does. Um, I, I have a question, but I don't know whether to ask it now or to wait. So Go ahead, uh, go ahead and ask it now. <laughs> So, you know, you have fear. Some people get afraid of a situation to the point of paralysis where Mm -hmm. they aren't responding at all, which Mm -hmm. can't, I guess, could be good in some ways, but it could be kind of dangerous, right, if you aren't processing fear properly. So what what is it that makes fear not be processed Mm -hmm. in the right way? In that particular situation, I'm going to go back to what I said just a few minutes ago. A lot like of times you talked about you, fight or flight. Yes, exactly. A lot of times when your body has these certain responses, even though they may not make sense to us, your body is doing something to try and save itself, even if you don't know that it is, or even if it doesn't seem to make sense to a, somebody on the outside looking in. So mm-hmm. when you see someone that gets scared and they're paralyzed with fear, what do they tell you if a bear is running at you? You know, mm-hmm. Do you run? Do you yell at the bear? Do you fight the bear? Or do you try and lie still and cover your softest areas? Most mm-hmm. of the time they'll tell you you lie still and cover your softest areas. The bear may just leave you alone. And so think of a possum. Possum, you know, you play possum. Possum play dead. The reason they play dead is because a lot of times predators, if they're dead, the predators will walk on by and leave them alone. And so in that whole fight-or-flight response, sometimes the body's response is to completely paralyze, don't do anything, quiet, don't move, and the predator, whatever it may have been, you know, thousands of years ago, a saber-toothed tiger, just walks on by, doesn't attack you, and you survive. And so there there is a survival component to that as well. And that's how it is. And a lot of times if you really think about a lot of the body's responses to fear and to injury and all these other things, a lot of times it's a it's a an evolutionary response that humans have developed to improve survival. Okay. So now like I said, there's you know, the they tell you you have just talked about, for example, let's use the bear example because yeah, you hear mm-hmm. all these different things, you cover your soft parts or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you so that that requires in some cases a lot of having knowledge having to think, having to process on the spot, which, and that's what I, I guess what I'm getting back to in terms of, okay, I may not be processing this right. I may decide to run because to me, the natural, you know, response may be that just get 
out of here, just get out of the situation um, right. and not necessarily taking the time to process, or I might be processing that a little, a little more slowly than I should. Um, so how, how do you get beyond, how do you get out of your own way, I guess? I don't, I think that's something that's pretty much programmed into, into each individual. Okay. And, um, you know, as we, when we, as we get along in this conversation, we talk about phobias, you know, we'll start to touch on that a little bit, but you know, mm-hmm. there are people, there are people that when they see blood, they're going to pass out. There are right. also people that when they see blood, it doesn't bother them. There's also people mm-hmm. when they see blood, they get excited. And so everybody is sort of programmed a little differently, but mm-hmm. you know, each one has some survival benefit in certain areas. So, you know, if you, you you would think that maybe in some places, in some areas in the world, that um, a survival instinct may be better to paralyze when certain predators are approaching you. But then there are other areas that you may live in the world where the predators may be not as big or not as fast. And in that particular part of the world, your fear response may be better to run or to flee. And so mm-hmm. there there's some survival benefits for all of those different responses, and everybody's probably programmed a little different inside as to how they're going to respond to those issues. But, um, but one of the things that, you know, we're getting at repeatedly here is that mm-hmm. fear is not always negative. The first thing that you think of when you think of fear is a response that's negative, but there's a lot of positivity to fear. And, right. you know, but the fact that number one, it's naturally a survival response, but then number two, some of the things that you mentioned, we have a whole month of October. Well, I don't know, seeming like three or four months now where you're building <laughs> up the Halloween you know, mm-hmm. And it's a whole, you call it a holiday season that's, you know, based on, on mm-hmm. fear, controlled fear or, you know, sort of produced fear, but this fear nonetheless, the haunted houses and scary movies and ghosts and skeletons. And, mm-hmm. and the whole thing is just, you know, it's about fear, but it's about fear that's fun. So fear that is basically um, controlled, fear that is produced Fear that is viewed as fun can actually be a lot of fun because you get the adrenaline surge, you get the excitement from the adrenaline, and, you know, people like that. The same thing with adrenaline junkies, people that like to jump out of planes, people that like to, you know, do risky things, yeah. race cars and things like that. They get an adrenaline surge, and, and that makes them feel good. That same adrenaline mm-hmm. surge, like I mentioned earlier, can make some people very nervous, but for the positive side, you know, it's fun. When you go to scary movies, you said you don't like them, but some people do. And, you know, they know that they're going to be scared. They know that they're going to, you know, be startled and they're going to jump and they're going to scream. And then after they're going to laugh because, you know, they enjoyed it. Same thing with haunted houses. You go and, you know, you go to get scared because you know it's going to be fun. And some people mm-hmm. won't go to haunted houses because that same, you know, little jump scare that makes somebody laugh and have a great time make somebody, you know, paralyzed in fear and they'll have nightmares for the next three days. So there's, you know, there's a lot of positivity associated with fear as well. And it's a, it's a, uh, an emotion that gives you an adrenaline rush that can, you know, be a lot of fun. Yeah. See, I don't like, see, I, I'm one of the weirdos. I don't necessarily like the, the scary movies, but I will mm-hmm. go do the roller coaster, which I know, you yes. know a lot of people, it's, you know, I'm doing the roller coaster. Um, on our honeymoon, I decided I wanted to go parasailing, and my husband's like, nah, that's all right. <laughs> you know, but I think I he didn't it. want to be showed up, so he went after I did. I was like, I thought you weren't going. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and try it. <laughs> Begrudgingly. See, you know, so. <laughs> I, I like a lot of adrenaline uh, a lot of adrenaline activities, but I don't know about parasailing. I've seen too many videos of crazy accidents, so yeah, I think I might avoid yeah. that one. Yeah, it was fun. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. Uh, if you have questions or comments with regarding fears or phobias, uh, we're here with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. The number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you. 
caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We're here with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. We are talking about your fears. And uh, we're going to kind of get into a few of, you know, different types and, and why and stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to I, – I will – I will talk about fear, not necessarily in a physical sense per se, but I do want to talk about the fears that what I feel in in terms of my life, the things that I guess I think that have held me back are fears of if I do this, this may turn out wrong. Fear of making mistakes. I think a lot of people have that. Let's just talk about that. It's not necessarily a, a fear that, you know, that I'm going to die, but it's a fear mm-hmm. of, I guess, consequences, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so can you talk about that a little bit? Because for me, when I look back on a lot of stuff, I was like, you know, I think fear kept me from doing X, Y, and Z, and I wish it hadn't. Okay, so what you're talking about is basically, um, you can call it the fear of fa- fear fear of failure, and there is a, uh, as you can imagine, there's a name for that. There's a phobia name for just about everything you can think of, and I don't think right. anybody knows the number of you know phobias that there are because there's just so many of them, but there is a um, there is a, a word for that. It's called a tichophobia, and I don't – it's – that's one of those that can be very difficult to, to define because one of the things that we need to sort of talk about is the difference between a normal natural fear and a phobia because they're not the same thing. A phobia obviously is much more severe. But what you describe, you know, you feel like um, your fear of failure has sort of, you know, limited you or kept you from doing certain things. And a lot of times when people say that, that their fear of failure has held them back, sometimes it's it's not so much that their fear of failure has held them back, it's that they want more security. And that means some people are more risk taker, more so risk takers than others. And the high, the bigger the risk, most of the time, the higher the likelihood of failure. And then there are other people that would rather have a higher likelihood of success and take a little a little less risk, although the upside may not be as be as great. And sometimes that's just a personality thing. Sometimes it's a it's a life issue. You know, if you have a family that you need to take care of, you may be more conservative. If it's just yourself, you know, you may be more of a risk taker. So it just depends, and also depends on your age. Younger people tend to be more risk takers. As you get older, you know, you tend to make more conservative decisions and be take less risk. And so that is sort of natural. And, uh, you know, it's that kind of personality-driven as far as that fear of failure may be keeping you back. Now, there's also a fear of failure that's severe enough that it may be considered a phobia, as in you just don't try new things or you just don't do things because you're afraid you may fail. Um, And a lot of times there are other um, psychiatric or social issues that play into that. Um, Say, for example, fear of relationships. So someone that um, deep inside wants a relationship, but they're afraid to try because they may be afraid of rejection. And a lot of times that's not simply just a fear of fear of failing. There's a lot more related to that, maybe social anxiety or other anxieties related to that. There may maybe some uh, relationship problems in the past that has generated that new fear of, of failure in relationships. So a lot of times fear of failure 
even though it has a general name, a lot of times it's specific to failing at something in particular. And a lot of times there's more behind that. But like I said, most of the time, fear of failure is just a conscious decision not to take excessive risk and to take a route that is going to be more secure. Do you feel that you're more of a just a, not a risk taker in general? I think. Um... Hmm. I think it's situational, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, when you were talking about the security, because, because, yeah, I think I take less risk if it involves other people. Right. If it's, let's say, just me, or if it's a situation where I've got uh, less to lose than to gain if I take the risk. Then mm-hmm. it's, it's you know then the yeah it, I, like I said so I think it's, it's situational, um, and I could elaborate on that but I'm not uh, but yeah <laughs> well, so if you look at if you look at like a lot of famous people throughout history that have accomplished great things, most of them accomplished those things before they were married and had families. Because right. once you're married and you have families, then your priorities change, and your likelihood of taking those risks that sometimes required to take to accomplish great things you know you're less likely to take those risks sometimes also risk taking is dependent on you know how much do you have to fall back on so you hear about you know rich people that have had you know 50 60 70 100 companies that fail before they finally found the successful company that made them a billionaire well guess what right maybe their parents already had a bunch of money and so whether they failed or succeeded they were still safe either way you know if you don't have mm. anything to fall back on you may not take that same risk so it's not necessarily even just you know risk taking personality or attitude sometimes it's also the setting that you're in that may allow you to take certain risk or may you know stop you from taking certain risks that's true. That's very true. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's like, like, for example, I was talking to someone the other day about, and I don't know how we got on the subject, but I was talking about how I had one time had thought about wanting to do the Peace Corps when, when I was mm-hmm. really, really young. It was like, yeah, I probably would have done it, but I think my mom and dad would have had a fit. So, therefore, <laughs> you know, I didn't pursue that. You know, so like mm-hmm. I said, I think some things are, are you know, maybe dictated by situations versus right. maybe, what, you know, what you are actually prone to do or not to do. Right. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And But that sort of leads me. Um, let's sort of um, define a difference between fear and you had talked about phobias at the very beginning, and I said we get into that. So now let's right. define what an actual phobia is. Okay. So fear is natural. Fear can be positive. Fear can be fun. A phobia doesn't really have any positive attributes. A phobia is basically a fear that has become irrational, that has gone to another level. It can be disabling um, as far as your daily life, can make daily life almost impossible in certain circumstances. So basically what what a phobia is is basically a distortion of the normal fear response. So the fear, the phobia is directed towards something in particular. It may be, you know, one that everybody knows now because of a movie back in, I guess, the late 90s, arachnophobia, fear of spiders. There's claustrophobia, fear of tight spaces. There's aquaphobia, fear of water, all these different phobias. But mm-hmm. you're afraid of something. You have a phobia towards something. And normally a fear is due to exposure to something. So if you're afraid of Spiders is because you see a spider. It's not that you wake up in the morning where there are no spiders, but you're worried that I don't want to go out of my house because there's spiders out there and I might see one somewhere in the world today. So you stay in your house or you're afraid that, you know, I'm afraid of clowns. I haven't seen a clown in 10 years, but I know they exist and I don't want to go out of my house because there may be clowns walking up and down the street. So I'm going to stay in my house and I'm not going to, you know, go out and apply for a job and I'm not going to meet other people because I'm afraid that there are clowns out in the world. Those are irrational fears and they basically take over your life and they make it difficult for you to function as a normal, healthy person in society. And so that's the difference Hmm. between a phobia and a fear. A fear of fear can be normal and natural. A phobia is not, and it can be disabling for you. 
Okay. So a person that has a phobia, I guess that requires some professional help at that point, correct? It may. Now, I you know, I sort of gave the extreme end of phobias. There's, you know, different levels of severity of a phobia. It doesn't have to be, you know, your fear of clowns doesn't have to be so severe that you're not going to leave your house. But it may be so mm-hmm. severe that, um, you know, if you heard that there's a circus in town in New York City next month that you're not going to New York at all because you might see a clown, you know, in a city that's, you know, that large. Wow. Or yeah. it may be, you know, so it doesn't have to be that you're, afraid to leave your house, but it, it also may be that, um, you know, that there are dogs in a neighborhood and you need to go to work. And so rather than going through the neighborhood where you know the dogs are, you may drive 15 miles out of your way to go through the country roads so you don't drive mm-hmm. to the neighborhood to get to work because you know that, you know, you may see a dog driving by in your car. And so those are phobias that really, you know, they affect your daily life. And they're irrational. They don't make a lot of sense. And it's not even that you're responding to a fear. It's you're afraid of the possibility of whatever your phobia is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so, so when, when I say the word phobia, what's the most common phobia that you think of? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, obviously, like you said, because of the movie, you've heard of arachnophobia. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I do know a couple of people that – that that's their thing. The spiders are just, you know, a, a trigger, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, I mean, I guess I have some phobias too, per se. And I don't know like where they came from. Like for example, I'm ultra cautious about the train track crossing the train track. It's for really? some reason, yeah. For some reason, <laughs> it's like worst nightmare to get hit by a train. Um, don't know where that came from. Don't know why it's there. You know, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's cautious. a name for it. I'm trying it, to be a little bit better, huh? I'm sure there's a name for it. You're not the only one. Yeah, I'm sure there's a name for it. Yeah, but you know, but the thing is, that doesn't mean I don't go cross a train track. It just means that right. you know, I'm, I'm cautious, like like I should be or supposed supposed to be. But I mean, mm-hmm. of course, then you get stuff reinforced, which is the bad part. Like for example, I remember. Um, sitting in traffic, and um, I had I had passed the train track already, but I you know I, it was you know sh- I guess shortly after sunrail, and, uh, and I you know we we were backed up, and I heard the train blowing blowing blowing. I'm like, oh God, someone is on the track, you know, and mm-hmm. out of my rear view mirror, I mean on my side mirror. You know, while I'm waiting in this, you know, and I'm like, oh, God, please get off the track. Please get off the track. And um, I did see the person get – it wasn't a person that got hit. It was a car that got hit because they weren't, had not completely cleared the track. Oh, so really? The end, yes. So I saw this in my side view mirror. And I'm like, see? See? <laughs> <laughs> Reinforced everything that you yeah, yeah. always knew. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I mean, basically, bottom line was, you, she wasn't clear to track. I mean, it would have been better for her to just, you know, break through some kind of way, go in a different lane or whatever, because there was no mm-hmm. oncoming traffic. It would have been better for her to just get out of the way than to get her she's probably hit paralyzed. by a train. Yeah, she's probably yeah, she's probably paralyzed. Either that, or she mu- must have thought that she had cleared it enough where she wasn't going to get hit. Because oh, I think true, a lot maybe. of people, you know, with the the trains, think that the train is just limited to the the width of the track. The, the width itself, of the track, and maybe a little yeah, and maybe a little bit extra. But you know, I mean, you you have to kind of. That's why they put the the guardrail so far. There's a lot more away. train than just the track. Yeah. 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 For so. sure. But yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but that well, that is a, an unreasonable fear because it's probably not going to ever happen. You know, and some a lot of times phobias are based in some type of personal experience, some type of childhood experience, and after that, you know, you develop this phobia. So they don't very often they don't just come out of nowhere. They don't, they don't just sometimes they have a root cause, and so. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the more common ones. The claustrophobia okay. is extremely common. I oh, see yeah. it all the time. We have it all the time at the hospital because people that have to get MRIs or CT scans or certain procedures, they don't like going through the machines, and so sometimes mm-hmm. they have to be sedated. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so claustrophobia is a very common one. Um, well, that, we that's one about, of the reasons they've developed the open MRIs right now, yes, right? Yes, they developed a whole new type of MRI because of claustrophobia. Exactly. Yep. For my mom. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and I'm sure everybody knows probably at least one person that has claustrophobia, right? Because it, it's, it's mm-hmm. extremely common. Mm-hmm. And then there are a lot of the other common ones that we know either. You know, there's zoophobia, which is fear of different animals and there's all the different types of phobias under that for specific animals so we you know there's you know dogs and cats and you know different insects and all those things so those are all these different types of fears and but one thing that we don't think about a lot as a phobia is um basically social phobia or social anxiety disorder that is actually mm-hmm. a phobia it can be severe enough for some people that it requires treatment and it's one of those things that is exploding right now. And if I were to ask you, if I were to tell you that social anxiety order, also known as social phobia, is increasing, particularly in younger people today, what are you going to say the cause is? I'm going to say probably, I would associate some of it at least with COVID. Mm-hmm. And there has been there has been a documented market increase in social anxiety disorder since COVID. That's one of the things. And what about Mm. even larger than that with young people in general? That they're, they don't, Oh, mm -hmm. well, I mean, basically in my opinion, it's just because they are, they're, they're on the computers all the time. You know, they don't go outside and play, but you know, yeah, exactly. And so the fact that they're not, used to they're not socialized as much because a lot of their social interaction comes from computers and people that aren't even real life social interactions when it comes time for those social interactions they're uncomfortable with it and they tend to be Mm -hmm. isolated they grow up isolated they don't have as much social interaction so you don't develop those same neural connections and so that's another thing they have noticed that particularly in younger people that um, social phobias have become more and more prevalent over the past couple of decades it is and but for covid for the post-covid social anxiety problems that has been hasn't been just young people that has been you know people across different ages but for the younger people it's been a surge probably due to social media and you know video games and screen time for all these kids and the uh, younger generation so that's certainly something that's becoming more and more of a prevalent problem for us we are here with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. We're going to take a quick break. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faith, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garrison. Uh, You may know me as Timmy G. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the yard with you. And I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight on KHAM Radio. Are you chilling? Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. What are you afraid of? You want to talk about it? The number is 516-387-1944. We're talking fears and phobias today, this Halloween Wellness Wednesday. And we're here with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. And so what, I guess, how do we, I guess, hmm, I guess lay the groundwork for the young people, the children, you know, I mean, for some of us, it's ingrained. There's nothing else we can do. Uh, well, or there's limited things that we can do. But 
how do we, let's say you start to see something in your child, are there any kind of things that we should be doing to help our children address their fears? Fears that are, some, some fears in children, obviously, obviously they outgrow. You know, you'll see children go to Disney and some of them will see Mickey and they'll run up to Mickey and hug Mickey and take pictures with Mickey. Others see Mickey that they love and, you know, they see Mickey on TV every day and they're happy and they see Mickey in real life and he's seven feet tall and they, they scream bloody murder and they cry. And so those little fears for little <laughs> kids, a lot of times they outgrow them. So, it's, you know, you don't need to be too concerned about those. However, if you notice that you have a child that um, has an actual phobia or something that you're actually concerned, maybe a fear that's severe enough that it may be considered a phobia or maybe disabling, the first thing to do is talk to your pediatrician. And uh, if they think it's problematic enough that it should be addressed, then they can certainly refer them to a mental health professional that can help treat the phobias because phobias can be at a minimum managed and uh, at best treated and eliminated. And uh, it's, there are people that that's all they do. They address um, patients that have phobias. And so it's, like we said, there's tens and thousands of, of different phobias and everybody has a way, different way they respond to their phobias and they need to be treated. And there are physicians that will specifically target and do nothing but treat phobias and they actually can be quite successful. So it certainly isn't something that you have to live with. It's certainly uh, something that can be treated. Unfortunately, a lot of people that have phobia that have different phobias are afraid to address those phobias, afraid to have them treated, and they would rather just um, avoid or ignore. And so a lot of times they don't get bullied. And then a lot of people are not also are also not aware that they can be treated and managed. So um, one of the things that is a serious fear, not necessarily a phobia, but just a serious issue that um, we're dealing with this month is is domestic violence. And so I guess one of my concerns is that you have people that get, that are in these situations, um, you know, unbeknownst to them when they first get in it or, or situations that develop. Um, but then they, you know, and I'm going to, by the way, post the uh, domestic uh, uh, violence hotline on the G's Power Hour Facebook page. But you get these people that get into these situations and are too afraid necessarily to get out of it. And so, I mean, I guess that's one of those those situations where I guess I'm concerned about people being, let's say, too fearful or too paralyzed to you know, make the right choice or you make the choice to get out of the situation. Um, and this is also where, for example, and I know I'm going back, it, it seems like a stretch, but I'm going back to the, the, the bear situation in terms of having to, I guess, think on your feet or having mm-hmm. to have information and making correct decisions. Um, I mean, is there kind of some of the same thing that takes place with a situation like that? I, I believe so. I think at the beginning we talked about fear and positive aspects of fear. How it can be fun and exciting, and you know, can you know even help you be more successful in certain circumstances. But there are some very negative aspects of of fear. We talked about phobias, and now, you know, part of the phobia for someone that's um, you know in a relationship where it's harmful to them, it may be life threatening to them, but they won't leave. Part of that may be mm-hmm. fear of being alone, you know, so they won't leave because they're afraid of being alone. Part of it may be a fear where they just have an intense personal insecurity and don't feel like they can, you know, survive alone or any of a number of different things that it may be fear, it may be codependence. Um, a lot of times different emotional disorders like that sort of intertwine and, and overlap each other. Mm-hmm. But I'll give you another. I'll give you another fear that um, you know may make someone not necessarily harm themselves, but may lead to harm for someone, and that is what we call iatrophobia, which is personal to me because iatrophobia is the fear of doctors or physicians, and it uh-huh. may include not just the fear of doctors, but the fear of 
the whole doctor, the hospital complex, the procedures around it, you know, all of the, you know, all of that, right? And so mm-hmm. people with iatrophobia, those are the ones that um, will sit at home. They have blood in their stool. They've lost 50 pounds in the last two months, and they know something mm-hmm. is wrong, but they'll stay at home. And then finally, you know, they will pass out in public. They'll get taken to the hospital, and they'll find out they have metastatic colon cancer that's probably been there for six months, and it's too late to do anything. And you tell them, and then you ask them, you know, what did you think was going on? Well, I thought I probably had cancer, but I didn't want to know. And that is iatrophobia Mm -hmm. that basically leads to someone's death. And I've seen that. I can't tell you how many times I've seen things like that. I've seen women with breast cancer, and when they finally come in, they have a mass that eroded through the skin, and the only reason it came in is because it's broken through the skin, and it starts to smell because of the necrotic tissue. And it's been there for oh, you know, wow. a year and a half. And that's another issue that we're addressing this month is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So, yeah, and uh, so, but that's so. those those are um, those are negative consequences of iatrophobia, where people want to avoid seeing their physician, they want to avoid the medical diagnosis, they want to avoid the medical testing, um, and so you know they end up with a much worse diagnosis or a much worse prognosis prognosis than they would have had had they not had the phobia of um, you know addressing the problem of um, seeing a doctor and just you know, getting the testing done to allow themselves to be treated. And that's a phobia that um, it's actually quite common and pervasive in society. And a lot of times it's not as bad as, you know, somebody has to have a, you know, an open lesion to finally be seen. But I can't tell you how often I see people that are 50, 60, 70 years old that say, (laughs) you come and you ask them, do you have any medical problems? No, I've been healthy my whole life. When's the last time you see a doctor? Well, I haven't seen one, you know, since I was a kid. Then how do you know you're healthy? And, you know, you find out they have diabetes, they had a heart attack, they have high blood pressure, they have kidney failure, they have high cholesterol, and then they'll tell you, I've been healthy my whole life. I come to the hospital and now I'm sick. Oh, <laughs> It's wow. not that you've yeah, been healthy. I've heard you just that, didn't too. Know. You yeah. didn't address these issues. So, let's, think, let's, no, I, ne- I never should have come. That's why I knew I never should have gone to the hospital because then I get sick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, and, and I think that is some some of what we need to address too, because we also, you know, one of the things that we, I guess, I guess part of what takes place this month is the focus on um, on death. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we have the Walking Dead, the fear of the Walking Dead, uh, and and mm-hmm. all of these Dawn of the Dead. You know, and and all this. So, do we have maybe these are things, sickness and death that we have maybe an unhealthy relationship with that we don't necessarily address the way we should, and maybe we need to, uh, I guess, re you know, I guess refocus or realign how we think about these particular issues. It's like, yeah, if you'd have gotten there earlier. You, maybe you wouldn't be this sick. Yeah, you know, I mean, and and when you talk about sickness and then when you talk about death, you, you have to kind of say, well, you know, you like some some people who do understand, like you kind of die from day one, even though you, you're living. Right. I mean, right. You, you know, you, you kind of are. It's going to happen eventually. It's going to happen, period. So, you know, so you can't focus on whether or not it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. You just kind of have to focus on what you do in the meantime, right. you know. So so do you think that, that that could maybe, if we readjusted our thinking on some of these fears and some of these issues, that maybe there would be less fear, fewer phobias? What are your thoughts? That that may be the case, but you know, I I don't have any any way to quantitate that. But it would be interesting mm-hmm. to look at, for example, different cultures that have different views of of life and death, and see if mm-hmm. there's different rates of phobias um, or different types of phobias, and um, see how they if they still have the same level of 
you know, iatrophobia, where people avoid, you know, obvious medical problems or health problems because they don't want to know that they may have a life-threatening illness. It'd be interesting. I, I haven't, I'll, I'll see if I can find some reading on that, but I've never really thought much about it and never really looked into it. But that would be interesting. It would be very interesting. Right. Well, I was thinking, the reason I thought about that, because there was a, a Disney movie um, called The Book of Life in 2014. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I saw right. it. And it was, you know, it was very enjoyable and everything. But they they talk about, you know, the connection that they have with their uh, deceased loved ones, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, you know, in American culture, a lot of times, especially, <laughs> I want to say, especially African American culture, we were like, don't, no, don't come back. Just, you know, leave me alone. When you're gone, you're gone, you know. Yeah, when you're gone, you're gone. If anything else, it goes. <laughs> Yeah, so I, that's what I'm saying. You know, maybe there's a, way, a a sense of maybe we need to kind of realign our thinking or readjust our thinking about our relationship with death and our relationship with you know illness is like you know no you do the preemptive strike you do preventative measures you don't just you know kind of blow it <laughs> off and then it's like all of a sudden here see it's, it's <laughs> see if i if i had to come it wouldn't have been here no it was probably there the whole time <laughs> but if, right. it, if you right. had come earlier it may not have been here now you know right so, but i'll yeah. tell you something interesting so in my experience granted this is anecdotal but you know, over the years, I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of patients. It seems to me most of the time when I have patients that avoid medical problems, avoid seeking out medical care, it's usually men. It's usually men. And very often, mm-hmm. ra- rarely do I, I have a, a, a female patient that comes in that says, I'm here because my husband made me come. I wouldn't have come otherwise. But it's uh-huh. very frequent that I will see male patients that will say, my wife made me come. Otherwise, they wouldn't have come. Sometimes those are patients in the hospital because they're actually having a heart attack. They otherwise would have sat at home. But it's overwhelmingly that for iatrophobia, it's men. But across the board, for all phobias, phobias affect women twice as often as they affect men. But iatrophobia, at least in my personal experience, seems to affect men far more commonly than it seems to affect women. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that we put this, uh, I guess, burden or expectation on men that they are supposed to be the strong ones. They're supposed to be the the pillars of health, you know, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and so... It's like no, I can't. I can't say that I'm having an issue because if I say that I'm having an issue, then this this is a sign of weakness. And then weakness. if it's chronic, right. then that's if it's chronic, then that's a continued sign of weakness. I've got to go to the doctor right. every so right. often. I've got to take this medication for the rest of my life, you know. And women right. are like, you know, let me just handle my business and keep going, <laughs> you know, because I got kids to take care of. I got elderly people I have to take care of, you know. I mean, I, I can't afford to be sick. <laughs> you know? Right. And along those lines, it's not uncommon that I will have these men that consider themselves macho, manly men that will have a heart attack. And sometimes one of the things that you see after after someone has a heart attack is all of a sudden, even if it's not a big heart attack, most heart, heart attacks aren't life-threatening, although some can be immediately deadly. Most of them aren't. But a mm-hmm. lot of times when someone has a heart attack that they survive, they have to come to the grips that, you know, they're mortal, that they yeah. could die, that they could have died. And so depression after a first heart attack or after a heart procedure or, or open-heart surgery is actually very common. But it yeah. particularly seems to be common in men that consider themselves to be, you know, macho, manly men that sort of held up a certain image of themselves that's all of a sudden been shattered, and they have a really hard time dealing with that. Don't see that nearly as commonly in women. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, we're going to take our final break, and if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. We're here talking with Dr. Taiwan Tillman on this Wellness Wednesday. This is G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment, and we will be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs. 
owner and funeral director at Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community with two generations of family funeral service. With the recent addition of my son Brandon, we are here to take care of the needs of Central and West Orlando. From simple cremation to a full burial, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here to help you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garris, and I think I found a way to help you understand what is Chill Out Jazz. Some of y'all may think of Welcome back on this Wellness Wednesday, the G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. And we've been talking about fears and phobias. And speaking of fears this time of year, there's some people that have some, uh, I guess, I guess I won't say fears, but they're just unhappy about having to deal with fall allergies right about now. So, um Tell me, what is what is the difference, I guess, or is there any difference between having a fall allergy versus a spring allergy? We hear so much about the ones during the spring, but, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some going on during the fall as well. All allergies are common, um, and it's different for everybody. I know as a child, I had um, bad fall allergies. You know, it was always ragweed, and they call it hay fever, and I mm. grew most of them. But the most common um, allergen across the board in the U.S. in the fall is going to be ragweed. There are certain things, certain pollens that are released in the fall season. So the only difference is what the um, allergens in the air are. It's not a difference of, you know, how your body responds to them. So when you get the fall allergies, your response, the way you treat them are the same as your spring allergies. It's just that you have to be aware of the time of year that they're coming up. And the other thing about fall allergies is it comes – we're often around a time where the flu season starts to kick up. And so there's always a question of, you know, is these, you know, is my runny nose and coughing and sneezing, is it just allergies or is it something that could be more significant like early cold or flu symptoms that I need to look at? And, you know, they're always, always the kids at school that have the runny nose with the fall allergies and everybody wants to be always allergies and people are sick at work and you're sneezing. Are you sick? No, it's just allergies. Everybody wants to be allergies. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but it's just something that you certainly need to be aware of. And so for people that have really problematic or persistent fall allergies, just like, just like spring allergies, they tend to be seasonal. And so you sort of know what time they're going to come around and you sort of know how long they're going to last. And the best way to treat that for most people is if your allergies are significant is to start treating before the allergies start to get bad. In other words, if your allergies, you live in an area some relatively warm, so the allergies are going to start early in the season before actual fall hits, then you start taking medications on a daily basis before your allergies start to get bad. Because sometimes if you wait too late, it's hard to catch up. You may even need a dose of steroids or something to sort of tamp them down to get on top of them. But if you know when your allergies start, you can start taking Claritin or Allegra or one of those antihistamines daily. You can use an, a steroid nasal spray daily starting about a week before your allergies would normally kick in. Take it throughout that allergy season, and once the allergy season's over, you stop them. And that um, you go through most of the season without any significant problems. And it's not something you need to be on all year. You just need to know, sort of know what, how your allergies run, what season your allergies bother you, and just treat yourself with over-the-counter meds during that period of time. Okay. And when you say allergy season, that that is mm-hmm. how long usually, or is that able to be determined so that, that you know, is by a loaded it? question. Loaded uh-huh. question. Here's why. Here's why. So typically the allergy season um has been a certain length of well, I say typically. It's been getting longer and longer and longer over the past hmm. couple of decades. So can you guess why? Most people wouldn't know that. Uh, but take a I would, why? I, I'm going to venture to say 
the, the, the which some people would consider dirty words, but I'm going to venture to say climate change. There you go. As weather is getting warmer, the algae seasons are lengthening. So the time these um, releasing their allergens into the atmosphere, that duration is getting longer. So algae seasons are getting getting more intense, and they are getting um, longer in duration. So allergies are becoming more and more of a problem. And for that reason, it's sort of a moving target. But for any individual, it, it varies on where you live. When for first of all, when it starts, obviously, if you look at different areas in the country, depending on you know where they are, what uh, how far north, how far south they south they are, the leaves start to turn at sometimes as much as almost two months apart, right? And so right. it's gonna it's gonna vary depending on where you live. It's gonna vary vary depending on the temperature. It's gonna vary depending on the type of plants um, that are in the area where you live. And so it's really individualized. So I can't say that that. Um, spring or the fall allergy season lasts a certain amount of time, but for any individual area, you know, if you've been there for a while, you'll sort of know when your personal allergies start, depending on what you're allergic to and where you are and when the plants pollinate or, you know, and you sort of identify that time for you. If you really, if you are in an area, say you move to a new area, you need to know. These are things you can easily look up online as well. Just look up when the allergy season starts. And that'll give you a good idea. Okay. Um, and depending on where you live, sometimes the news, the weather report will also give an, uh, a report of the pollen that are in the air. That'll right. also give you an idea of. And so, yeah, depending on where you live, if you if you, <laughs> if you live in an area where they give you a pollen count, you're in an area that's a high density algae area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I've seen it before. Yes, for sure. Right. For sure. Right. And um, the medications the, that – over-the-counter medications, actually, they work very well. So you can most of the time use those and don't have to do anything with the prescription manager steroids or anything like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you a little bit about um, prescription medications and not necessarily just hmm? for allergies, but I was going to ask you about prescription medications for things like um, – you know the flu and and other things right now because mm-hmm. that's that's something that you know there's been some discussion about as well. So, um, how, how do you first of all how do you determine what you need? For example, you see decongestants, then you see expectorants, and then you see you know other types of things. How do you best determine what it is that you need in terms of an over over the counter drug? Well, first of all, if you go to the pharmacy and you don't know what you need, um, the pharmacists are there to help. So ask them the questions that you need. Tell them what your symptoms are, and they and if you have any medical problems, what your medical problems are, and if there are any other relevant medications that you take, let them know that, and they can help you sort of guide you through what would be best for you and what, what may be most beneficial for you. But in general, um, you mentioned all those things, you know, expectorant, decongestant, you have to know what those words mean because that's what's written That's what's written on the box. And right. um, if you don't know what those words mean, then you don't know what you're looking for. But in general, it's based on what your symptoms are. So if all you have is a runny nose, then, then all you need is an allergy medication. You can pick something like um, an antihistamine, like a Zyrtec or Claritin or, or Allegra, and that will help you with your runny nose if it's due to allergies. If it's due to flu, it's not going to. If it's due to, to a common cold, it's not going to. But if it's allergies, it will help. But it will also help, you know, if you have itchy eyes or itchy ears or any of the other things from, you know, allergies like that, then it will also help that. The other thing, however, is if you have just a runny nose, your allergies only trigger you to have a runny nose. The other option is to use a steroid nasal spray. One of the more common mm-hmm. names is Flonase. That right. also helps your runny nose. It doesn't work right away like a Claritin would, but, you know, mm-hmm. you use it for a few days and it gets rid of the runny nose. It doesn't have any of the potential side effects of the other medications. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. those other medications can make you sleepy and have other different types of yeah. side effects because they are systemic, whereas the Flonase or the other mm-hmm. nasal sprays only work within nasal passageways, don't get absorbed throughout your body significantly otherwise, and so you don't mm-hmm. have to deal with the side effects, and it also works very well. Dr. Tillman, thank you so much. Appreciate the time and hope to have you back next month. Have a blessed day. 
You do Thank the same. you all for listening. Have a blessed day. This is Najee's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. Be well, be safe, be blessed, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care.